0: Hey there, and welcome back to another Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Armin Verdanian. We have Subrat Mishra. Hello. Lucas Paganini. Hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And today we have a special guest. It's Colm Ferry. Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself? Let people know who
1: you are and why you're so famous everywhere. (laughs) I think famous is putting it. Nicely. Uh, I'm Colin Ferry. I'm a senior engineer at Narwhal. I work on the Angular vertical for the NX uh, DevTools. And I post a lot of content around Angular and the CLIs and the DevTools around Angular.
0: Awesome. And
1: every time I see
0: Narwhal now, I just, I'm just i going to throw in kind of a random bit of stuff. Um, I've been doing some triathlon training, and the triathlon system gives you points for how well you do your job. And on the swim workouts, it's not a unicorn, it's a narwhal. And so, whenever I hear narwhal, I'm like, yeah. Anyway, um, we invited you on to talk about this uh, article. It was written on the narwhal blog, it was component first architecture with standalone components and NX. And uh, yeah, it seems like we talked a bit about standalone components, but it seems like you have kind of a different take. Do you want to give us a kind of 10,000 foot view on this? article and then we can kind of dive in and talk about what's going on here and how we use all these tools and ideas together
1: yeah sure thing uh the component first architecture is like how we can approach standalone components from a more architectural point of view because it's great to get the feature out of angular but it kind of creates this void of architecture where ng modules had previously filled that we had the concept of core modules shared modules feature modules but when we get rid of ng modules, then we don't have that type of architectural pattern anymore. So the component first architecture kind of falls into that, that void by allowing you to architecture your apps fall in the same kind of pattern, but just using only components. And the whole mantra around it is that your whole application should
2: be led and directed by components. Yeah, I think it it, it uh, Angular is going towards a very uh, good direction now if you are using uh, component uh, driven applications so now ne- no need to have a uh, extra knowledge of having a ng module so suppose now someone is onboarding to angular now it'll be a little easier to uh, share component between each other lazy load the component in so prior to the prior comp- lazy loading component was a little bit tricky you need to put that in a module and then then all those, I think all those things are gone now. Now uh Angular is going towards functional approach and and, and that's uh, pretty pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely. The it even gone towards like functional root guards and things like that. So you can really see them going down that functional approach.
3: Well, since you mentioned NX, I think that we could talk a little bit more about that to the audience because to us, I already feel extremely familiar with NX, but that's definitely not the case for everyone. So um, I think that one of the greatest differentials between you, Column, and the other guests that we had on the show talking about standalone components is that you work at the company that builds NX. So imagine that uh, you must uh, work in the NX source code yourself, perhaps. So... I think that we could first introduce NX to the audience pretty quickly, and then maybe we could talk about the different features that the audience could expect to have uh, focused on standalone components by using NX instead of using the regular Angular build system.
1: Yeah, yeah. So NX is a it's a build system. It's Kind of like you see at your, your, your uh, Angular CLI, but it does a lot more, and it's got first-class monorepo support and a lot of like integrations with Jest, ESLint, Cypress, and these things. And it just it really helped. The whole like core concept of it is to never run the same code twice, so you get computation caching out of the box, which allows you, if you run a set of tests, then. If nothing changed, we just pull from cache for and have to rerun those tests again, because we can detect that nothing has changed, nothing's affected those tests. And they build on that. We've created the affected command, which will analyze your workspace. It'll then create the uh, project, like your your workspace was still in the projects. We'll analyze your workspace and we can say, okay, by changing a file in project A, project B is affected because project B imports a file from project A. And from that, we can build an affected graph of nodes that have been affected within your workspace, which allows us to build a task graph of what need tasks like build, uh, test, in, landing, whatever needs to be run based on that task graph of affected projects, which can save a lot of time, especially in CI, where you don't necessarily want to be run the build on everything when only one thing has changed. So it can save you some time and money on CI.
3: I love that you mentioned those points about only running things when necessary, because I think that a lot of people miss that benefit from NX. A lot of developers look at NX as only a solution for monorepo management, but it's not just that. Like if you have a single application and you have no interest at the moment, at least to break your repository into multiple different parts, you can still benefit from using NX. It is still more performant than the regular Angular build system. And it also, generally speaking, introduces new features to the CLI faster than the Angular CLI. So of course we can't say that it will always uh, be faster than the Angular CLI, but they are indeed much more focused on uh, developing this single part of the system than the Angular team, which has to maintain a lot of different modules. Like NX has uh, a responsibility in the code base that is much more focused than the responsibility that the Angular team has in total, which is managing all the different modules. So NX is much more focused on the build uh, the build system and improving the performance of all the generally ran scripts on an Angular code base, such as uh, formatting, linting, running tests, etc. And it's also maintained by a private company that is, so it's not just maintained by the open source community. So all those things together make NX a candidate to introduce features faster than what the Angular team can do Uh, knowing that they have to maintain, they have to distribute their focus across a lot of different libraries. So this is particularly interesting. If you haven't explored NX before, I highly encourage you to take a look at their docs, take a look at their website. Even if you have no interest in having a monorepo, everything that we're going to be discussing here today uh, is available on NX. So if you want to generate uh, standalone component from the CLI. You can do that uh, now with the regular Angular CLI just using ng-generate comp- uh, component-standalone, dash dash but you could do that before using the NX CLI. And I will bet that there are other things that the NX CLI supports for standalone component structures that maybe the Angular CLI doesn't support yet. So, column, um, is that a, a fair statement? Do we have yeah, a, things? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a fair statement. Uh, the biggest one is generating when you do an ng new to create a new Angular CLI application. You get ng modules little box. As far as I'm aware, that as of time recording, they don't support the dash dash standalone flag on ng new. So you'll always get a, an Angular application that's bootstrapped with ng-module. At the present time, NX will allow you to bootstrap an Angular application with standalone components by passing the dash dash standalone flag. In fact, we will be releasing a new version, 15.8, which will have better support for when you run NX MPX create NX workspace. And you choose a standalone Angular project. It will ask you if you want to use standalone components from the start, which will put set up the all the code that's needed to bootstrap and from a standalone component rather than from an NG module.
4: Uh, fun fact: the Angular team is gonna switch
1: to standalone
4: as the default configuration. Uh, so in the future, when uh, when running ng New, it's gonna create standalone instead of modules. It's too soon to save. The modules are going to get deprecated, but it's possible
0: in yeah,
1: the future. And I remember reading on the roadmap for Angular that the getting started documentation on Angular IO will also change the use standard components yeah. rather than ng modules as well. So it's going to happen. It's down the line, it's in the future. But with NX, you can get it right now.
4: Yeah. I'm actually a newcomer to NX. I'm using it right now, and it's like for the first time. Uh, I knew about annex for a long time, but uh, our previous project was kind of a mess. Though <laughs> so it would benefit if it was an NX workspace, but anyway, we couldn't like introduce it there. But uh, we started a, a new thing, and... Uh, I really, I really liked Next from the start. Though some things kind of confused me. Like I, I, remember distinctly that we created a standalone workspace, like with the Angular uh, the schematic, or how you are calling it. Uh, but uh, it also creates like a default project, right? Uh, other than other projects or libraries you can add. Somehow the default project I discovered today because we weren't using default one. Uh, somehow it has modules. It has an app module.
1: Uh, and i not wonder yeah. if I did something that, wrong. No, you didn't. There's some uh, confusing terminology at the minute because the way people, the way most people look at NX is that it's a monorepo tool. So we wanted to try and break away from that idea. So there was a term created called standalone project okay. with an NX, which is just an application, like a React application or an Angular application or a Node application, which isn't in like your standard monorepo structure. And then that causes confusion with Angular because Angular is its own concept of standalone. Ah, so I see. Yes. So but now if you already run that prompt and that workspace generation again, you would get prompted once you click standalone Angular application if you want to use standalone components I as do. well. So yeah, there so, is some confusion there with the terminology, but we do support so the standalone components. Uh, the
4: the standalone project concept is an NX concept. Like yeah. you have something that is not exactly in a monorepo, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I see that now. We just, we've just removed all of those files. Is it going to be
2: okay? Yeah, <laughs> it not really need it. To me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah.
2: And, uh, I was just thinking about the module. Like, uh, is it, uh, is it, oh, what I'm saying is, is it a, uh, on pipeline that ng module will be uh, completely removed. Because I can't, a, I can't yeah. see it
1: being completely removed yet. It could happen two or three versions down the line, but Angular has a good LTS support system, so they try to support multiple versions. And I, so I can't see it happening just yet. And a lot of mm-hmm. like enterprise applications will still be using ng module, and it will take a longer time for them to transition away from ng module. I know that the CLI Angular CLI team are working on a schematic that should replace NG modules with standard components automatically. Mm-hmm. But I'm nearly sure Manko put out a tweet that said that you check everything things all works after you run it because it could break. So it's still that risk of if you want to go all in or not.
2: Yeah, I think like NG module can be useful for certain scenario. Like suppose you have a big project and you haven't uh, converted them to multiple micro front-end, but still it's a uh, single repo and multiple projects are working. Then in that scenario, maybe NG module uh, will be make sense to say, s- segregate different teams and uh, they should divide their work in, in, in their only module. Like su- suppose they are having a service, they should uh, provide that service in, their module instead of providing in the root itself. So, like, how, what's your thoughts on how it will be handled if uh, NG, NG module will be gone completely?
1: Yeah, I think the, the easiest way to answer that is to use NX because NX will let you set up what's called libraries, feature libraries, and you can split that by team or by domain. Like, you can mm-hmm. bring domain driven design into that, and that's where you could have each team will have their own folder within the monorepo that is specific to their domain and the work that they're doing so all their standalone components and everything will be from that one library and mm-hmm. it'll expo- expose a public API from that library which will have an entry point and that means the only way you can access those that team's code is through their, the exposed API that they provide so then the, you get the same kind of effect of an ng-module but avoid having to have an ng-module
2: mm-hmm.
3: makes sense I have a different use case that I don't really know how to do it without an ng-module. Perhaps you could help me, Column. My use case is that I have a module that is responsible for creating teams for uh, an application. So I have a light team and a dark team. And you may think, what is the magic there, Lucas? There's nothing special. The, the thing is, In order for users to load the application without seeing a flash of unstyled content in the beginning, I have to inject my CSS variables, which are the ones that define if I'm in the light team or in the dark team, I have to inject them before the JavaScript code is run. So my application uses server-side rendering in Angular, I have a module called team module and in this team module in the constructor I inject everything that I need in order to check if I am running my application in the browser side or in the server side if I am running it in the um, in the server side then I inject some CSS styles at the head of my uh, of my content so i just inject that dynamically uh, using the angular renderer and if i'm in the browser side then i don't need to do that because it was already injected by the time it was server-side rendered so the css would already be there i wouldn't need to inject that again i just have to use the variables so basically I'm doing something that I probably shouldn't, which is I have logic in the constructor of my ng module, but I really don't know what would be the best practice here. I imagine that the best practice would be to use the app initializer token and then provide a function that can take all the dependencies that I need and does this initialization for me but I'm not sure if that is the right call. And even if that were the right call, I wonder how I could expose that as an individual library to consume in all my applications. So imagine that I um, isolate this team library, and I I am reusing that in a bunch of different NX workspaces. And I want to import um, like something from at Angular Teams, and just somehow uh, initialize my team handling logic. Like right now, I can just import the team module and import that into the root module. And then it just does all that logic for me. But if I were to switch to um, a more functional approach using standalone components, how would I do that if I don't even have a components, just a module and a service, that allows me to dynamically change the team.
1: Yeah, so it's very interesting that you say that for two reasons. One is that server-side rendering in Angular doesn't support standalone components yet. You still need to have an app, an NG module for server-side rendering. They're going to work on that this year, but for the most part, you need to have an NG module as your entry point for server-side rendering. Secondly, yes. An app initializer, app initializer would be the best solution for that. You could write a provide function using the new inject function that is exposed from the Angular core package. And within an Angular injection context, that can still inject your uh, dependencies that you need within your function. So then you could have a function that's provide theme, which will do the same as your theme module. And you apply it to the applications uh, providers array and you could do that with on the Bootstrap application method for standalone components. But like you said, it's because it's server-side render and it's all going to have to be in the providers array of your root ng module.
3: Mm, okay so basically right now I can't do it because it's simply going to break. It's not gonna work with server side rendering. But in the future when Angular adds support for server side rendering, then the right way to go would indeed to use the app initializer token. And then uh, perhaps the way that I would export it would be similar to how the HTTP router and the, sorry, for how the HTTP client and the router are being exported now on Angular 15 with their new functional APIs in which you can just, uh, you call a function in the, when you're bootstrapping your application and that function is going to, return all the things that need to be provided. So I would, instead of exporting a module and then to consume this library, I would import this module in my root module. I would instead export a function and this function returns everything that must be provided for this library to work. And I would call this function in when I am bootstrapping my application and this would be the new way of doing it with standalone with a standalone architecture. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yep. That's 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 right.
3: Awesome. And thanks for the tip about server-side rendering. I really didn't knew that it would break the the application. So I imagine that like I can still use so just to clarify to the audience, I imagine that I can't use standalone components internally. I just can't uh, have everything be standalone. So somewhere I need to have a module that is importing, uh, like maybe a module for the root component, just that. And then everything else can still be a standalone component, but maybe the root module needs, the root uh, component needs to be in an ng module so that server-side rendering can work. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good to know because that way, if anybody has server-side rendering and they do want to move, to a standalone structure, they can do it right now. They just have to be aware that they can't make the root components standalone just yet. So you can make everything else standalone and already have 99% of the benefits from a standalone architecture, but you can't yet go all in on that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's where the interoperability between ng-modules and standalone components has been really good because you can still use standalone components in ng-modules and you can still import ng-modules into standalone components. Like that interoperability is pretty good at the moment and it helps for that situation.
3: How does the NX roadmap connect with the Angular roadmap? So let me just give a little bit more context to what I mean by that because this question could go into so many different directions. Um, What I mean is, at the beginning, NX was extremely connected with Angular. Like, it almost seemed like it was a tool made for Angular applications. And then over time, it expanded. So now you can even use NX with React-based applications. And of course, you can um, use it to also connect parts of your uh, repository that are just simple node modules, they're not even like a front-end application and all that. But at the beginning, it was very, very connected with Angular. So um, I even um, expected NX versions to be, NX major versions to be uh, connected with Angular major versions. So for example, I imagine that if I want to use Angular 15, I have to upgrade NX to the major version 15. If I used, want to use Angular 14, I would have to use NX 14. So it's very, very connected. But now that NX uh, has support outside of Angular, uh, I wonder like, how much of the Angular roadmap affects where NX is going, or if maybe there are directions that NX wants to go, that are not exactly the ones that Angular wants to go, and why?
1: Yeah, so originally NX was a tool that was built primarily for Angular, but it was realized that it could do so much more than just Angular. So that's when the split began to uh, show. That's when they started adding React support, and we've built up more support for other tools and technologies since then, to the point where NX is its own independent CLI now. It's not connected to Angular. We do support Angular, but we're not influenced by Angular or following its roadmap in any kind of way. We will add support for any new features that they introduce and we will provide any bulk fixes that we need to do on our side that relates to Angular. But we're not, we're not so closely linked in that regard that a major version of Angular correlates to the major version of NX. It's not like that anymore. Uh, it'll be we have a compatibility matrix on our doc site which will show the version of nx that matches the version of angular so you can use that to find which version of nx you need to use but also we have recently launched support for two major versions of angular Uh, so you can now use nx 15.7 with angular 14 and angular 15 so we've made it even more independent where it is just a dev tool. We just have peer dependencies on the Angular project, on the Angular packages, sorry. And it means that the dev tools, our dev tools can keep offering you new features and new bug fixes, avoid you being tied to a version of Angular where if you want to migrate to the latest version of NX, you don't need to necessarily migrate to the latest version of Angular.
3: Nice, nice. And what about actual features, uh, actual roadmap for features? Like Angular is going into a very functional programming approach. Lately, like it has been taking more and more concepts from functional programming and trying to simplify the developer experience. Um, How about NX? Like NX also wants to go in that direction. Um, And is there anything else that NX might want to, to do that maybe Angular is not doing now?
1: Uh, the biggest one is probably module federation support. So we want to try and make sure module federation works pretty well with Angular. So we built our own plugin. Uh, no, sorry, not plugin. We built our own API around the module federation plugin for Webpack. Uh, if Angular ever does make the full switch to ES Bold, we'll be ready to look into a solution for uh, module federation with ES Bold rolling Webpack. So like that's the kind of feature that we can offer that Angular doesn't offer out of the box. And if there's anything else that, like, that strikes us like that, that we can provide that Angular doesn't, we will look on it, we'll research it, and we'll decide if it's worth building or not. So we can still offer more features than what Angular offers out of the box. But anything that Angular does offer out of the box, we will also support, if that makes sense. So we'll always support everything that Angular supports, but we could also develop our own features relating to that, like our module Federation support. We recently added server-side rendering, module federation support as well. So you can use server-side rendering with module federation, uh, or you could just use the standard client-side module federation. So that gives you your micro front-end solution if you really want to go to the micro front-end, or you could just use it for incremental builds where you can split your application and the multiple smaller apps have them build and take advantage of the NX cache, effective building, and then Uh, speed up your CI and your build times using just the module federation tool in itself.
3: Awesome. Um, Could you explain more what is module federation and which problem does it solve?
1: Yes, so module federation is a tool or technique that allows runtime JavaScript to be fetched from a different uh, domain, essentially a different uh, endpoint than the rest of the application. So it basically tells Webpack that when an encounters there's a module that is federated, that it's not part, of, it's not a part of the build script, it's not part of the build, uh, the source files, but it's not a problem. It will be resolved at runtime. It can find that load that code at runtime, and then at runtime, when Webpack the runtime reaches that import of a specific module that has been federated, it will know where to look for the module. It will fetch it across the wire, and then it will be able to run it.
2: At runtime, yeah. I would just like to uh, have it uh, just for our listener for a simple, simple one-line uh, statement to understand. Like now, you can export your uh, standalone component or a module uh, through through a URL to another application, and that that is possible through module federation. This is just to set up the context of what.
3: Uh, so, let me see if the problem that this fixes is the same one that I have in my mind. So one issue that I constantly run into is I have many NX uh, repositories and there are, well, imagining that you have a well-organized NX repository, this makes it really easy to reuse code from one repository into the other because if you have it well-organized, then everything is well isolated and you can just copy and paste parts of your system into a new repository and add those functionalities really fast. And this is what we do right now. But of course, a better solution would be to simply centralize that part which is being reused in many places in a single repository. And then somehow all other repositories can import from there. And this is what we generally do, but we use NPM libraries for that. So every time that we want to isolate something and reuse it in many different repositories, our workflow currently is to publish that as an NPM library. Uh, If it is an internal library that we don't have a desire to expose publicly, then we just use a private package. But. If it's okay to be released publicly, then we make the repository open source. And then we just publish the the package in public uh, on the NPM public public repository. Um, But what you're telling me is that maybe I don't have to do that. I can have a different approach and still solve the same issue. So the issue is importing something that uh, is isolated in its own repository, and I want to reuse it in many other repositories. So perhaps there's a, a better way to do it than publishing as an npm library.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that exactly, uh, mainly because for it to work, you would need to like deploy the bulk JavaScript code. So that's the big, that's the key difference there between an npm package and module federation, is that. Yes, you can share. You can share different remotes among different applications, but it does need to be deployed. It needs to be living on a server that can be reached at runtime from uh, from the module federation uh, pipe plugin. So it can do basically as a HTTP get request to fetch the, the JavaScript code and then insert it at runtime. Uh, it's more akin to micro frontends. So you could have three applications. Two of them are your micro front end applications and one on your host application that will uh, serve the two micro front ends, where at runtime, it can just fetch the entry point for the one of the two micro front ends at runtime and load it into its own shell.
3: It's and like an is...
1: iframe on steroids.
3: Okay, okay. Um... I got the difference. Now, if I publish that as an NPM library, I can have that available at compile time. So I can actually install the code and have it locally in the repository. And then when I build the the package or the, the repository, then Webpack can bundle that code together with my application. And if I use... Um, Uh, the other solution, then I have it available at runtime instead of compile time. Okay, I understood that. And I also understand that this is more related to some problems that people may have with micro frontends, but I still don't understand why can't we just uh, have things available at compile time in a micro frontend. Like I understand that you would have to dynamically understand which uh, iframes to load and each iframe would be like a small application inside your, your major application, but each one of those micro frontends, why they can't just have that library at compile time? Why do they, why do they have to get it at runtime? What's the benefit here?
1: Uh, the biggest benefit for that is related to organizational issues, really. So it's about have teams within a large corporate organization having full autonomy over their release. So they could release new versions of their micro front end or what they're working on at their own release cadence, which could be different to the release cadence of another application that uses their micro front end. So even though, say, team A has a release cadence of a monthly release, whereas team B, who's developing a micro front end, they release a new version every week then people that use Team A's pro- uh, project will still get the latest version from Team B despite the one-, one monthly release from Team A because it will always be able to face the latest version that's been released by Team B. So it gives them that autonomy to develop features faster on a different schedule than other teams of the organization. It gives them more autonomy over that. So it's more a completely organizational issue that it solves rather than
2: any technical problem yeah i think also uh not nowadays people may think that end is a uh, cool thing but as, as column said that if you have multiple teams uh, and multiple dependencies then you should go for microfrontant uh, and one more thing module federation helps here which which was not possible before Model Federation each sharing uh, same same component means sharing the s- suppose you are using Angular 15 and another microphone also using Angular 15 now you can share the same Angular 15 code base so that it need not need to be run uh download on the r- runtime of the browser before Model Federation it was not possible we uh, what we used to do is we, we need to bundle the whole Angular code and the application code and then serve it to different file, So the I think this is the main benefit of model federation from micro-frontend side.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the dependencies that are needed from the micro end can be provided by whatever application is using the micro end. So if it has Angular Core, Angular Common already installed and loaded in the browser, then the micro-frontend can just use that, for that package that's already been loaded rather than having to download its own package hmm. the one problem that that does introduce though is if you share a package like lodash module federation the module federation plugin doesn't know what apis are required from lodash for each of the micro front ends that you use so you don't get the same tree shaking benefit of lodash at that stage so you, there is that tree shaking potentially uh being less performant and less optimized when you share certain packages. So it's good to just keep an eye on what you do, share between the micro front ends with module federation.
2: I think uh, one more thing to Lucas, like to whatever you are asking about the uh, problem, right? So I I was just thinking about one more solution of approach. Like if you just, uh, if what happened, if you create a multiple NPM package and load them, so it might happen that your initial bundle size will be more if you have a lot of NPM package and, trying to bundle them to your uh, single-page application, uh, then if you're going with a single-page application way, then might be the initial bundle size will be high. And if you now, if you convert that to multiple microphone and then you load them lazily, so that might increase the um, user's experience or the on-load experience of the um, first render experience for for a user. But if you're doing with server-side rendering, that uh, I think that doesn't make much sense
3: here. And Colum, um is there any feature on NX which would allow people to import uh, libraries at compile time, just like I've been doing by publishing them as an NPM library, but without having to publish them on NPM? So somehow telling uh, NX that you want to make an import into a GitHub repository. And then if it's a private repository, then you somehow also um, add your API key or something, and then NX can automatically go into that repository and build that for you. Or do we really need, uh, if we want to have something available at compile time, is currently the best solution uh, to do what i am doing which is publishing things as an npm library
1: yeah so nx doesn't act like a package manager and it doesn't try to act like a package manager so managing those types of third-party libraries and things is outside the scope of what nx can and will try to do so the best solution i would say for that is just to follow like the package managers solutions for that like npm yarn pnpm they i know they have like Available. They, they can allow you to install packages from github but it needs to be set up in your package.json json file to point to the github repository i don't know if it allows you to do a pre-build step to compile those once they've been downloaded or not but yeah that's probably the
2: best solution i can give i think yeah, uh, it might be funny to say but uh, i was about to uh, say like use dino i think dino do, do does that with yeah single end but it's uh, i think uh, does NS um, works with Dino as well? Like if
1: We are building support for it. So we have some experimental support at the minute, and we are currently working on more full integration of it. Oh, it will be nice.
3: Mm-hmm. What are the most requested integrations currently? I imagine that Dino must be highly requested, but other than that, what else is coming?
2: Maybe one.
1: <laughs> uh, we haven't looked in the phone yet uh, Vite was actually a big one so we launched support for Vite and Vite by test or Vite test so that was uh, was a big one that we got over a line um, we are kind of looking into more native languages as well so things like your Java .NET and mm-hmm. those types of languages and how we could potentially add support for those so we're trying to work towards
2: that as well yeah Java will be huge like if- NX comes in, into it nowadays. Like every every company has different uh, way of uh, architecting their file, but yeah, I would not like to put, put again with the Java out, so uh, change it.
3: Yeah, I've been very fortunate, very lucky to lately only have to work on code bases that are just using TypeScript all over. So I have full support from NX in everything that I am doing in all my projects. But um, I did wonder once, like what if I wanted to have like something in the backend which would be in Rust or in Elixir, like how would I have support for that? And even though we don't have support for those other languages inside NX right now, what would you recommend, Column, for developers that are working in codebases that need a monorepo solution, need something to connect all the different parts of their application, but perhaps what they are using is not yet supported by NX? What would be the next best alternative to NX if they are working in a codebase that NX doesn't support?
1: I wouldn't even go straight to an alternative, the NX. There are community plugins for NX that will add support for Python, Go, Rust, Java, .NET, already existing, they're community-owned, uh, maintained, so it's not currently first-class support from NX, but the maintainers of those projects are very good, and they provide a lot of support through those because the NX project graph, which is basically the core functionality of what every- Everything that NX can and does do, like that's the core functionality. It can be hooked onto any uh, any language really, as long as you, as long as a plugin can provide it with some information about how the files are linked together or how the projects are set up. So there are plugins for those different languages available for NX. So I would still stick the NX personally and see if there's a community plugin. And as I said, there will be first class support for some of those languages moving forward. Or if you feel confident enough yourself, you could build your own NX plugin to manage the project graph for and one of those languages that you're using and maybe build your own generators. They scaffold out some .NET files or .Java files that you need for those languages for any situation that you're in. Like you could have a generator to generate some class that you have to build over and over again for, uh, for Java. So, so yeah, there's all this extensibility that is promoted from NX, especially using the NX plugin generator where you can generate your own NX plugin.
3: That's really interesting. I didn't know that there was so much community support. And it's good to know that others have already paved the way to a lot of those features because I don't even know if I have enough beers in my home to reach that level of confidence of trying to write my own NX plugin. So I'm very happy that yeah. <laughs> others have done it.
1: Yeah, it's very straightforward, actually, in terms of writing generators. The executors is another thing that you would have to take into consideration when you're writing one of those plugins, because if you wanted to run like NxBold, uh my Java project, then that means you'd have to have an executor. But that executor is just a JavaScript uh, script, essentially, that you could then just use like child process to invoke the Java C compiler, which will actually do the compilation for you. It could invoke Gradle or whatever it is that you need, uh, Kotlin, whatever you're using to build your Java project. So it could just be literally a quick JavaScript script that is running child process to exec sync one of those other native build tools for the actual Java project. And then that also gives you the benefit of the caching because if that returns a successful output, then NX can say, okay, well, we seeing a successful output, we can cache the output of that build. And the next time you try to run, if we don't see any changes to the files that impact that project, then we can just return the cache and return the, the cache files that we've, the artifact that we found after we ran the build the first time.
3: Oh, nice. Nice. So, like, that actually seems pretty straightforward. I can actually, like, imagine how the code for those plugins must look like not that hard. So perhaps if you are looking for a solution and NX doesn't support your weird language, uh, then you can actually write a plugin for it. Pretty cool. Go it's ahead. It's a
4: lot easier than writing an angular schematic. It's a lot Sorry. easier than writing
1: an angular schematic. Yeah, tried it doesn't to, use RxJS.
4: I, I tried to come up with it. In the project that we were doing previously, uh, when we started it, we didn't know about NX. And uh, I don't know when NX became popular, but we started the project, I guess, in 2017. Uh, So we haven't heard about like monorepos or anything, but uh, in retrospective, I think that that would be really beneficial because uh, I wrote a bunch of scripts to build web components. And all, all of them were just like not JS scripts that I put them in the uh, npm uh, like package JSON as a npm script, and obviously all of them were pretty buggy, and I couldn't like use TypeScript in them for for weird reasons. <laughs> yeah, if we have been using something like NX, uh, uh I think we could, I, I tried to. Look into like how can I turn that script into a schematic, but it sounded really hard. And I just yeah, kind of forgot about it until the.
1: Angular schematics can be pretty difficult to understand first before even trying to write them. When you write them, it becomes even more difficult because they've got this whole idea of a rule and chaining together multiple operations and yeah. how all that impacts how you write your schematic, and it's all based in RxJS. So even the debugging of that then afterwards can be really difficult to to debug because you might get an error thrown by some merge map or some switch map somewhere within that because of the RxJS operators. And I, I, I speak for myself anyway, I struggle to find the actual error that causes those RxJS errors most of the time. It's like going through a lot of different li- lines and jumping through different files when you're debugging this, try and find what actually caused the error. Whereas for NX generators, we use just async utterables. So it is just JavaScript and JavaScript all the way down, really. It's very easy to debug, very easy to write.
3: And how does it work if we run run many? So for example, if I run NX test and I put run many to run it in a lot of different projects, um, how can I, like write a plugin that can accept that. Um, I imagine that perhaps I would just have to add a command that has the same name as test. So if I want to add support for test, uh, then I just have to add a command in my plugin that has this name and also try to reuse the same names of, of options that are passed to other commands, so um, maybe just uh, trying to reuse the same flag names, is that it?
1: Kind of, but not really. So the run many command will look for the name of the target test, in this case, any of the project.json files, but those project.json files are technically loose. You could write them whatever way you want, as long as they follow a certain structure, which is they have a target with a name and then the target definition, which will have an executor field, which is where you would put on your plugins executor for testing. It might not be called test, it could be called something else, but it will be the executor, which is just basically the JavaScript file or JavaScript script that will run when uh, it's called. So it's basically just calling that function and then the options that are available to be provided to your JavaScript function to determine how it runs. So the options will, be basically your arguments to your function and your target name is test. So NX will look for the test target and all the project.json files, and then it will find the executor, which it will then see your plugins executor. It'll um, it'll basically do like a dynamic import for that function and run the function. So it's very easy to actually import um, they introduce the run many command because you don't even have to worry about it. It's something that NX takes care of, takes care of as long as you provide a test target within a project.json file that uses your executor with whatever options you want, they provide
2: as arguments. So I think I would like to ask, I think uh, back to where uh, you started, like uh, if we if someone is now ha- already has a, a pretty NG module application, now they want to go towards uh, standalone uh, component architecture like standard uh, component-based uh, architecture. Then is there any command available which will change uh, change their code like ng-update or something from NX? Or uh, is there or, or what should be the approach uh, initial approach to convert a ng-module-based application to a, a component-based ap- application?
1: So NX offers a command that will help you convert Uh, scams to standalone components, which -hmm. could be a good first step if you've used the scam architecture. Otherwise, NX itself doesn't offer any schematic or generator to convert. Angular does support one. So if you already run NXG, the command from Angular, so that Angular slash core, Angular slash CLI and their schematic, sorry, I don't know the name of it. uh, It will still run in your NX workspace. And still allow you, you to convert your uh, your ng modules to your standalone components, so you can still run that command. There's one offered by Angular. I uh, can't verify how good it is, but I do know that the Angular schematics tend to work off TypeScript programs, so they're a bit more thorough on how they do actually
2: function. Yeah, I think makes sense. But you what know, I'm uh, anticipating is. It will take a lot of time to, for a big project to um, go from go away from ng module to, uh, to totally component based architecture. Yeah,
1: yeah, still take time. And the best solution there is probably the the, the the good scout method or whatever it's called. Where if you're on a file and it's using ng modules and you feel like you can change it to a standalone component, go for it. If you've got the time, it should be it should work pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And just using that, doing that approach over time, you should eventually buttle down the number of NG modules you have.
3: Oh, yeah. cool. I have something to say about this before we, we wrap things up. Um, I saw a post by Minko Gatchup on LinkedIn, and he was talking about the Angular team building a script to migrate code bases from NG module uh, architectures to uh, standalone components so if you just wait a bit more then you can just run a script instead of having to do all those changes manually okay so i think we can wrap things up now um if no one else has any major questions i mean we could talk with column for two right. entire days <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, um, before we do that, Column, if people want to fi- find you or follow you online, where do they do that?
1: Uh, Twitter is probably the best place. So, at Ferry Column on Twitter.
0: Awesome. Um, well, let's go ahead and start doing our picks, our, our self promo, and then our picks. So, Lucas, what are you working on that people should know about?
3: Awesome um well two things so my web animations course uh, before this podcast i was actually recording content for that so still not fully ready uh, but i do have a waiting list open so if you're interested in having solid fundamentals about web animations not just learning how to do this particular animation how to do that particular transition but actually learning how web animations work so that you can create anything that you want. So if you're interested in something like that, then check out lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. And it might just be exactly what you're looking for. And also, um, I have open spots in my company to take more projects. So if you have an Angular-based project and you need help, like you need more developers working in this project, maybe you just want to more developers temporarily, and then you want to decrease the workload, that's okay. Uh, So you can reach out to us at unvoid.com. We are extremely specialized in Angular and functional programming. So if this is what you're looking for, we are uh, the best option for you. And I believe that's all for me.
0: All right, Subra, what are you working on that people should know about?
2: Yeah, I think... uh, it will be interest here because I think uh, I have started a podcast and the first guest uh, was Lucas. Uh, So, so I know him. (laughs) Yeah. I'm getting famous. You you said watch the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So guys, please go ahead and watch the podcast. Maybe I, uh, I'll give the link in the, in the show note. And and as well as uh, I have also some videos on standalone components. So if you guys are interested, you can go and watch a playlist on standalone component, mostly on Angular.
3: If awesome. I may add, um, I want to set up expectations for people. It's not a technical podcast. Yeah. We just talked about how I built my company, how uh, what I look for when I am hiring developers, especially Angular developers, since since this is the expertise of my company. So if you want to know how my company hires and evaluates developers to figure out which candidates are the most qualified for what we're looking for, or you just want to know how I got to where I am right now, not that this is like the major deal, but uh, I imagine that it might be curious to some people how you can go from employee to employer, then we cover all that in this podcast episode. So I loved talking about that. Thank you, Sobrette, again for the yeah, invite. Yeah.
2: Thanks, you did my part pretty well Yeah, Thanks. Explaining <laughs> the podcast, yeah. Awesome.
0: All right, Armin, what are you working on The people should know about?
4: Uh, yeah, I was kind of looking forward it's uh, like uh, sharing about it. I wrote a bunch of articles, but that's not what I want to talk about. Uh, I tried. Uh, I remember that we did a separate episode on uh, when uh, with the inject function came out. We did a separate episode about uh, the, how we can do change detection, uh, like sort of outside of Zone.js uh, with proxies and everything. I wrote an article about back then and promised I would publish that one day on NPM. Uh, so, yeah, eventually I went on and did that. Uh, I published a package called Zoneless. Uh, I, I think it's gonna become irrelevant soon when Angular introduces signals. But it offers like a separate, uh, like a different API, and uh, it's not it's not related to signals. And, and I don't think it's very performant. But it's just an experiment. So uh, if uh, anyone wants to try out that in a separate like experimental project. Uh, it's got different API because it works uh, as if uh, as if there is no uh, proxy or anything as, like like a usual Angular property and everything like with deep checking and everything works. But without ZJS, I, I got an example there. Uh, I also kind of integrated observables into it and computed properties like uh, what we probably are going to get with signals, but without the signals API, but working like the usual objects. Uh, I think the Angular team in the end decided not to use proxy objects. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about the reasons, but uh, I will put the link to the package uh, here. Uh, so if anyone is interested, I just I'm just interested in hearing like feedback. I'm pretty sure this is not gonna be not the next big thing, but uh, it still would be interesting to compare to what will come next. In terms of reactivity uh, and go on. Let me say that's that's mainly the thing that I'm uh, kind of concerned about.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm gonna just uh, I'm I'm starting and building a new course. It's gonna be most valuable programmer because I like the MVP idea, uh, kind of riffing off of the sports idea. Uh, to help people become kind of Olympic level programmers, um, and that that includes both the career and soft skills, and people skills, as well as the technical skills. Um, so, you know everything from updating your resume and doing interviews, all the way through figuring out where you want to take your career, how to find a company that you like to work for, uh, down to how do you practice, how do you stay current on technology and stuff like that. So. Um, I'm probably going to put up a page where you can get it on the pre-launch. And then what I think I'm probably going to do is um, the full price is going to be like $1,000. But what I'll probably do is whatever percentage I have completed is going to be what the price is. So if you wait longer, you'll get more value right away. But it'll you know it'll cost you whatever that percentage is, right? Uh, but then I can also start getting feedback on the course. And so that's kind of the trade-off. Um, but it's going to be a complete masterclass and it's going to walk you through all of the different ways that you can um, take your career all the way to outer space, <laughs> you know, just, just all the way to the top. So anyway, that's what I'm working on. Column, what are your, what, what are you working on that people should know about?
1: At uh, the moment I'm working mostly on stabilizing the Angular plugin for NX uh, and that's part of my work. Uh, outside of work, I write in a fiction novel and I'm working on a tool called Grammar Guru, which will be an AI powered tool to help writers, professionals, teachers and students improve their, uh, their writing and their text communication. So it will offer features like feedback on tone, feedback on the pace of your writing, uh, improving descriptiveness, improving conciseness,
0: things like that. Nice. All right. Well, let's do our picks real quick. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks?
3: Wow, Chuck, I'm going to compete with you today because generally you are the one that picks games, but I'll be the one picking a game today. Awesome. Um, I am going to pick the online version of War by Grow. I've always loved this game. It somehow is extremely effective in destroying all your friendships in a short amount of time. And I just love how good it is at doing that. It's a beautiful game to play with family, with people that you just met that you don't ever want to see again. Uh, Like all that, it's just beautiful. And now my employees actually, they know how much I like this game because we had an in-person hackathon in the past week and then i i brought that game and then we played that in that trip a bunch of times um and by the way they didn't let me win okay unfortunately they weren't nice employees but that's outside the scope of this pick so what they did is that they found an online version of this game and they were like oh lucas is gonna love this so uh i've been playing a lot with this um, outside my working hours, okay, just to have that registered. But I've been really addicted to playing war online and just knowing that if you don't have other people that want to stress out and play that game with you, you can just play it with a random person online or even an NPC. So yeah, this is what I've been doing lately in my free time.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Always love new games. Subrat, what are your picks?
2: I think I was about to pick uh, signals, like Angular re- Reactive Signal, but Arman just mentioned it before. So I will just go ahead and, and pick another another thing. As uh, I was just uh, reading one book, it's Understanding the Distributed System. So if you are interested in maybe going uh, towards full stack development, then you this must be an initial book to go go and read it. I haven't finished it. I have just started it, so I thought to pick it. I think that's all for this week.
0: Good deal, Armin. What are your picks?
2: Uh, so I've been reading
4: a book recently. Uh, it's a work by Michael Brenti. I don't know if you heard about him. Uh, called Inventing Reality, The Politics of Mass Media. Uh, so it's really a, kind of a political book, uh, mainly focused on like how the media, like newspapers and everything is working in the specifically United States context. And it has really lots of uh, interesting things and insights how, how, like there is lots of discussion online. It's, it's not that old of a book I think it's uh, it was published in 1993 or something but um, there's right now there's lots of discourse online about all oh, the fake news and propaganda and so on and so on and uh, there's lots of like buzzwords being thrown around and everyone accuses everyone of lying and so on and this book is really uh, focusing on essentially how it works like behind the scenes. And how lots of people are are actually kind of engaged in uh, spreading propaganda, but like without even realizing that, or uh, how how the perspectives are being manipulated, and so on. It's kind of a it's kind of a stressful read because there are lots of like uh, really painful revelations about how it all works. But I'm 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 kind of a history buff, so I love like all stuff political and so on. So I really enjoy it. Uh, considering reading all other books by the guy (laughs) so yeah that's probably my pick for this week
0: very cool all right um i'm gonna jump in with my picks and then we'll let column share his um so i always do a board game uh monday i played a new board game with some friends of mine now game i'm just gonna warn you it took us like four hours to play um it was awesome but uh yeah um i know that some of the longer games kind of turn people off uh board game geek i'm pulling it up because it usually gives you a, a, a time frame it says yeah 90 to 150 minutes so that's an hour and a half to two and a half hours um we played it for the first time, and I think that's why it took so long. And uh, we, anyway, we really enjoyed it. It was it was a ton of fun. It's called Ark Nova, and effectively, you uh, you have land in front of you. You're trying to build a zoo, and so you uh, bring animals in, and the animals have different effects. Um, you you build um, prestige and. Uh, you have conservation points and you also have uh, appeal of the zoo and you get sponsors that give you certain abilities. And anyway, it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, so, yeah, you, you're kind of building an engine that, uh, you know, lets you build more and more stuff in your zoo. Um, Board Game Geek weights it at 3.72. So it is a bit of a complicated game. And, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a bit involved. There were four of us playing too. And I think that was another reason that it took as long as it did is because we had to wait for everybody to take their turn, figure out what they were going to do. I think as you get more experience, right? You, it becomes easier to make the calls you want to make. So anyway, um, I'm going to pick Arc Nova. Um, that's Arc with a K. And uh, yeah, then I'm going to throw out a few other things that I've uh, picked up. So um, I've read or listened to two books on Audible that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, one of them is called The Power of One More by Ed Milet. And basically, it's kind of a personal excellence book, but he goes into like leadership and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's, it's really, really, really great. Um, so I'm going to pick that book. And then the other book that I've been listening to is um, obviously awesome, and it's it's more about positioning your products. It's a marketing book, but I think it applies to a lot more than that. Because effectively, if you're trying to get a job, you're trying to um, you know be a freelancer. If you're trying to convince people to to take certain steps in your code base, all of those things are. Um, they're all things that you're, you're going to have to sell to people in one way or another and those basically break down then into um, how do I position this so that they understand what it is and why they want it and so I, I really enjoyed that and then finally the last pick that I have is another book this one's one I also listened to on Audible and uh, it's The Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson so if you've read the Mistborn trilogy uh, this is kind of a follow-on, like three hundred years later, and so it's more of kind of a, a Western almost, or a, you know, the, their technology level is early ni- early twentieth century, uh, late nineteenth century. So they've got railroads and you know pistols and stuff like that. Anyway, fun fun book. So I'm gonna recommend that. Column. What are your picks?
1: Yeah, so my pick is related to productivity because I really want to be a get or I want to get better at keyboard navigation and just using my mouse less. So a really fun, like gamified course that I found was Vim Adventures, which teaches you Vim through a game, and it's pretty awesome. It's really fun to actually go through, and you do feel like you're learning a lot more. And because of if you can get good with the Vim. The VUM shortcuts. And uh, yeah, there are extensions for like IntelliJ, for Google Chrome, and things like that that will allow you to apply the VUM uh, key map to those products, which means you could take that same skill set and use it across multiple different uh, applications that you use. So I feel like that that's something that I'm trying to get into to improve my own productivity a bit. Awesome. All right. Well,
0: um thanks for coming. This was awesome. And I'm just going to wrap us up because I've got to get to the developer book club. We're finishing up Docker deep dive today. Um, Next month we're doing pragmatic programmer anyway. um, But in the meantime, until next time, folks max out.